Join me as I pray. Father, I thank you that we know you to be the God we just sang of. You are the God we just sang to. Great is your faithfulness. Your son said, No, I shall never, no, never leave us or forsake us. And that's because as believers in Jesus Christ, his spirit indwells us. He cannot leave us because you're inside us. He will not forsake us because you cannot forsake yourself. So Lord, I pray that we would live in the reality of that. Lord, I pray that we would live as a people empowered by your spirit that is a pledge of our inheritance. I pray that we would live as a people that are fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. I pray that we would live as a people that are keeping our faces lifted to heaven for that is where our salvation will come and that is where we will go. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would come to the end of ourselves and find in Christ Jesus all that we need. It's in his beautiful name I pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat and good morning to you. In Acts 26, Paul gets this charge at the end of the book that we're in. He says, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. But we know that the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever that they might not behold the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. So we have this charge to go and see people turn from the domain of darkness to light, and yet there's a God, there's a, a, a ruler of this world, Satan, who prowls around looking for those he can devour. We need to be a people that pray, Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our hearts, that the eyes of people's hearts would be enlightened, that they would see the glory of the inheritance that awaits them. That's why we're in this book called the Book of Acts. It's in a series we're calling Ready, Sent, Go. It's out of the series that we went through in John where he said we walked with Jesus for 28 weeks and now he's saying, now go and make disciples. John 28, 19. But guys, we can't go in our strength. We can't grow in our power. We have to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. I talked about last week about how the book of Acts, some, some, some of your publishers may have put at the top of the book of Acts the title for the book as Acts of the Apostles. And I told you, be brave enough to cross that out because it's not inspired anyway and write down the Acts of the Holy Spirit because that's really what this book is about. And we're just going through four chapters. We're in chapter 3 today, so you can open your Bibles up to chapter 3 of the book of Acts. It's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will put a Bible in it. But guys, we have to understand the role and the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live out what Acts is telling us to do. So in week one of Acts 1, where we saw, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we talked about living, like going and living in the promise of the coming Spirit. And then last week we actually saw how the Spirit fell on the people at Pentecost and gifted them and gathered them and saved 3,000. And we talked about going in the power of the Spirit. Guys, if for us to better walk out this mission that we're on, we have to know more about the Holy Spirit. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I didn't mention it last week, three books I would strongly recommend. They're very different authors, very different backgrounds, written very different times. But one is D.L. Moody's Secret Power. He, read it, he wrote it, I think, 
I want to say in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it's an excellent book. Francis Chan's book, um, Forgotten God, is also an excellent book about the Holy Spirit. And um, so is Jim Cimbala's book, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, that I think I first read shortly after I became a believer in the 90s, in the early 90s. Um, I would also like to strongly recommend, we've already heard it, there's quite a bit of interest. Um, Don Vandergeesen, one of our elder advisors who's taught classes on the Holy Spirit, pneumatology is the, is the technical term for it. Um, he would like to offer a summer study. So if you're interested in knowing more about the Holy Spirit, reach out to Don. We'll be getting our little summer study menu out to you guys, hopefully starting next week, about some of the studies that are going to be offered this summer. But the book of Acts is about what the gospel does. Right? We don't want to leave the gospel. We don't want to leave Jesus back here. The book of Acts is about what the gospel does. If the word of God tells us how to, and the gospel gives us the power to, and grace gives us the want to, Acts is this. Acts is showing us what we should want to do because of what he has done for us. And I loved how somebody prayed that, those exact words in our pre-service prayer without knowing that I was going to say that. But we should, we should Acts shows us the, what we get to do because of what he has done for us. God sends his son. His son sent his spirit. His spirit sends us. That's the order. God sent his son. His son sent his spirit, just as he promised he would in John 14 and 16. And now the spirit sends us, and so we're to go. So here's the message for today. Go with your eyes wide open. Go with your eyes wide open. And the question that we're going to look at is, are you on the lookout for where the Spirit is moving? Are you on the lookout for where the Spirit is moving? And so hopefully you've already turned to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through the first 19 verses today of Acts. But if you did your daily reading today, then you read the rest of them, so I don't feel guilty about not getting through the whole chapter. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. It's interesting, that was the hour of prayer for Jewish people. Even though what we've already, we've seen, obviously this is Peter the Apostle and John the Apostle, they're walking together up to the temple of God in the hour of Jewish prayer. They are still practicing Jewish customs. And that's totally okay. I'll let you in on a little secret. Jesus was Jewish. Right? Judaism is the root of our Christian faith. I won't go into any more detail to that, but that, that is a, it's an interesting thing to think about. It's part of why we sell, people go, well, why do you guys celebrate the Seder? We do a Seder meal here. Why do you do the Seder? That's a Jewish thing. Okay, well, one, we show it from a, from a messianic perspective and how Jesus was pictured all over it. But two, it's because uh, even these early believers were still practicing some of the Jewish faith, like praying, which we're called to do as well as Christians. It says, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. Now remember that as we go along in the story. He, this man was born unable to walk. As, an, as a newborn baby, he could, he could never walk. He was being carried along, whom they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When I was in Israel in May... We had the chance to go, we spent three of our days or two and a half of our days in Jerusalem. The Temple Mount is a huge area. I mean, it's, it's I don't know, six baseball fields or something. It was, it was largely expanded during King Herod's time when Jesus was alive. 
And that, this picture is just a picture, a panoramic picture of the southern end of what is called the Temple Mount. And the whole southern end of the Temple Mount back then had these stairs that are being restored now. There's one section that is being restored more than others, but a lot of it is just rubble. It, these, these blocks are massive. I mean, that's, even that picture is like, that block is about 30 feet deep. And that particular block was actually set not during the time of King Herod, but it was set earlier than that. So they're engineering it. I mean, it marvels even um, what was going on in Egypt during the, the building of the pyramids. I mean, these were massive things. But there's, there's a section that has these walled-in gates now, but it, they were the southern gates that went into the, the Temple Mount. And this is where I, there, somebody, nobody really knows where the gate called Beautiful was, but I believe that this is where it would have been. And these, these, these steps went all the way across the southern section of the Temple Mount, which was probably 400 yards. While we were there, at one point, I had kind of gone off, because some of those original steps would have been the original blocks that Jesus would have walked on while he was there. And there aren't very many places in Israel where that's still true, because most of it's like 20 feet underground now, because they've just built on top of where, you know, rubble and rubble over the, over the eons. So I was having a moment, they were, that's what the guys that I was with called it, where I was just like, wow, this is one of those places where Jesus could have walked in. And I'm just sitting there, and I turn around, and I leave, and our whole, the whole group of 12 guys is on the, is like, has moved on. And I can't see them anywhere. And, and it's like, I can see straight down the steps, like 100 yards. So I'm thinking, oh, great, so I'm lost in Israel, and I don't know where to go, so I'm running. So I had a great perspective for just how this is a massive area that, that at this moment that we're looking at here would have been bustling and crowded. It would have, it, he would not have been the only beggar on the stairs. There would have been many of them. He would not have, there would not have been just Peter and John walking up. This was, and, and this is important to where the story's going because this, was, uh, this, was, this would be like going to the mall Probably around, you know, probably, probably not Black Friday, but, but like that. It would be very busy and crowded. Pick it up in verse 3. When, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. He was begging for money. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Guys, I want to stop there for a second. I, I, I love, he, so, so, so get the scene. It's really crowded. They're going up to pray. And, all of us, and out of all of the people there, they, they look at this one beggar out of many beggars. And they fix their gaze. Why? Why did they have eyes to see this man? Could it have been because they were praying as they were going up to the temple, Lord, show us some people to share Jesus with. Could it have been, Lord, show us the people. There are lots of people there that had needs. Why this one man? Maybe it was because the Lord was showing them something. Here's the question. Do we do that? In, last summer, we did a study in the Experiencing God book that, John, that Blackaby um, wrote. And his whole shtick in that summer study that we did was this. Look and see where God is at work and join him. Don't go do a new work. Just look and see where he's already working. Ask him. Lord, show me where you're working. And when he says right there, run over there and do what he tells you to do. That is what I believe Peter and John are doing in this moment. So in verse 5, it says, and he began to give them his attention. That means, so from all this sort of begging and all these people that he's seeing all around him, he, find, he fixes his eyes back on them. So now they're looking at each other. Peter and John and this lame man sitting on his mat, and they're looking at each other, and they're about to have a moment. And he's expecting to receive something from them. Guys, he's expecting to receive money. They're not there to meet physical needs. Right? They're on mission for God. 
So the mission for them isn't about meeting someone's physical needs. It's about, be, it's about meeting someone's spiritual needs. The question is, do we do that? Right? Do we, when, when we're so busy and we've got a zillion errands on our to-do list and we've got four stores to stop at and we've got everything going on, do we get out of our car and as we're walking into wherever we're going, go, Lord, give me the eyes to see somebody that needs to hear about Jesus Christ, or that just needs to be, just needs to know that another human being on this planet cares about them. D.A. Carson, who spoke at the conference that we were at, or that, that, was, that was hosted by the Gospel Coalition this last weekend, said this, the glory of the gospel, not the neediness of mankind, is the self-sustaining fuel for the mission to go and make disciples. Guys, the church, should we be meeting needs? Absolutely, and we do here at Cornerstone. You guys are a gracious bunch, and our family has experienced that. Our extended family has experienced that through my father-in-law's illness. We are, we, you love each other, not just our family, you, like, like few people I've ever met. But ultimately, the mission isn't about meeting people's physical needs. The mission is about seeing eyes of hearts open to the gospel. That's ultimately what we're to be about. Asking simple questions like, how can I pray for you? Which I hear stories of that happening all the time. It's so cool. So in verse 6, Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. What did he have? What did he have? Jesus. He had faith. He's like, I don't have what you're asking for, but I got something better. And let me tell you about it. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now, first of all, we're afraid to even say something like, hey, like we stumble over, man, I'm a little nervous about asking, how can I pray for you? Right? Because what if they just, what if they're like, get away from me? What if Peter had gone, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk, and he pulls this man up, and the man falls flat on his face? He's like, did anybody see that? Like, I, 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 nobody, I, I was just kidding. Right? But because he's being led by the Spirit, and the Spirit undoubtedly tells him, this is what you're supposed to do, he undoubtedly just says, look, I, I, I don't have what you're looking for, but I have what you should be looking for. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, somewhere between 10 and 12 times in, the next, in these two chapters, chapter 3 and 4, that we'll look at together next week, he's going to use the phrase, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to focus um, on that and the power of his name next week. So come back for that. But I'm going to keep going now in verse 7. It says, And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. That's the first miracle. This man, from the womb, had feet that did not work. Now, immediately, his feet are working. They're strengthened. Now keep going. With a leap, he stood, up, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. There's the second miracle. How does a man who's never walked before in his life get up and start walking? D did any of your kids do that? Did any of your kids come out of the womb and go, Hey, Mom and Dad, it's good to see you! And walk over to you? Of course not. It takes time to learn to walk, but not when the Holy Spirit is the one who's taught you, apparently. The other thing about this miracle is that this is the first time in this man's life he will ever have been allowed into the temple of God. This is the first time in this man's life that in their, their, in their belief system, in their culture, the only way to be near God was to get into the temple. And as a cripple, as a, as a lame man, and they attached that to sin in their culture. If you were physically ill, it's because you had sin in your life. So they were saying you were unworthy to enter into God's presence. And I'm just talking about the court of the Gentiles. I'm not talking about where the, where the Jewish people got to go. 
That's part of why they left him on the steps and not in the courtyard where it would have been much more comfortable because he wasn't allowed in. And now he walks in with them. Guys, but get this. This whole scene is not about... this. We want this to be about this man. We want this scene to be about this man. And if you've got the Bible, little, the little sing-song rhyme Bibles for your kids like we did when, we, when they were little, they'll take this scene in Acts and this is the only chunk they'll share. And maybe if you've got the, the, the CD that goes with it, the, well, they don't use CDs anymore, MP3s or whatever they are, right? They, they talk, and there's a sing-song thing that goes along with it about him walking and leaping and praising God. This passage has nothing to do with that. That whole scene, praise God that he was healed. But all we know right now is this man was healed physically. This whole scene is a setup. Just like we saw in the Gospel of John where Jesus over and over and over again would set up the situation to show himself to be Lord. He sets up himself walking on the water just so he can walk up and go, the great I am is here. Right? Just like Pentecost, last week we looked at the Holy Spirit coming down and the whole thing about fire and tongues of fire and people getting confused about what that looks like. All of that was a setup for Peter to preach the gospel because it drew attention. And that's the same thing this is. Guys, this is about... This, this is no different than the scene in John chapter 9, if you were with us in the... It was, it was, and here's the thing. From Peter's perspective, this would have only been a few months ago. When Jesus was walking with them near the temple, and there's a man born blind. Now, we look at it in January, which was only a few months ago for us, too. But, and, and, and Peter asked him, so who was it that sinned that made this man born blind? His, him or his parents? Because they connected physical element with sin. And he says... Nobody. This man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now watch me work. It's the same thing. Flash forward several months and Peter is now like looking back because remember one of the things Jesus promised was in John 16. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes to you, will disclose to you all that are mine. I believe that what Jesus was, what the Spirit of God was doing to Peter as, as they're walking up and praying, Lord, give us eyes to see. He heard that one. And he walked over and went, all right, that one's God's. I'm going to take him. Get up. Let's go. Do we walk around with our eyes wide open? Are your eyes open to where the spirit of the living God is at work? Are you asking God to open them? Are we looking around for that? Look at your be in community section. It says, are you living your life on mission? Are you using your God-appointed opportunities to point people to Christ? We strongly believe in the collective to get witness of community and the boldness displayed when we are together in the gospel? Are you using your home, your school, your workplace, shops you frequent as tools to build the kingdom? Do you see our new building program as a way to build the kingdom? Jesus will build his church. Let us, as spirit-empowered believers, be on mission to push the darkness all the way to the gates of hell. Let's armor up and fight forward, not simply hunker down and defend against defeat. There's too much fear in Christianity. There's too, and, and in my own heart, too. There's too much, oh, look what's going on in the world. Guys, who ultimately wins? Jesus does. And because we're on his side, we do. we got to stop. Right? That, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And we need to take the fight to Satan and send him to hell where he belongs. Amen. When Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he wasn't, the gates weren't to keep us in. 
that's a picture of us attacking Satan all the way to the pit of hell and saying, and we'll still win. Satan, you can, you can wall yourself in all you want and we will come and get you in the power of Jesus' name. So are we on the offensive together? Are we, are we on the offensive in our, in our, we have engage opportunities, whether it be neighborhood things or missions trips, are we doing that together? Are you involved in one of the summer small groups in, that, that we're going to be there to help us strengthen our faith and learn how to walk this out and model walking this out together in our summer small groups? Guys, if you look at, at, your, at your Kids Connect that, that hopefully you all look at, on the bottom, I mean, listen, listen to the weekly outreach challenge from this week's Kids Connect. Ask a stranger if you can pray for them. Grocery store clerk, coffee shop barista, restaurant food server, this week, as God provides the opportunity, ask a stranger how you can be praying for them, and then do it. Guys, this, this is what we need to be about. This is the mission. We don't need to hunker down and, and, and be in fear. We win, because he won. So are you, looking, are you on the lookout for where the Spirit is moving? One, by living your life on mission. Two, by stepping into gospel opportunities. So see, you'll see now how this all headed to one point. This point's going to go quickly. It says that all the people saw him walking and praising God. So there's the attention grabber. And they were taking note of him as being one of those who used to sit at the, gate of beautiful, at the, at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. His whole life, he'd been sitting there. Now he's standing up and he's talking to them. They're kind of curious. Go figure. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to, the, to, to them, to the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Now, inside those walled-up gates that I showed you the picture of a minute ago, right inside there at the level, there's this, there's this massive courtyard that Herod expanded. It's huge. This is just a glimpse of it. But this is the part that's right near where those gates would have come out. And so all of these people see this man who's never been in the temple before. They, they know him as be the guy that's on the stairs. And now he's in the temple and he's talking and he's running around jumping and he's praising the Lord. And then it says, but when Peter saw this, saw what? Saw the opportunity for the gospel. Again, eyes wide open. He's like, okay, God, you orchestrated this event. I am now in the temple with all the Pharisees, and here we go. He replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us as if by, your, by our own power and piety, we have made him walk? Guys, Peter's saying, guys, get, why are you looking at me? So, so they see this man, they turn their eyes and they fix on him, and they're like, how did you do this? And, he's, and Peter's going, this isn't about me. None of this is about me. I didn't do this. And guys, I, I want to take a minute and just briefly talk about, I'll share more next week um, before we actually start our sabbatical the week after that, but I want to take a minute and just share with you, when I first mentioned that, that we were considering taking a sabbatical, and this was way back last fall, the, few, the handful of people that we talked to, they, 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 their first response was, we totally get it, but oh no. And the oh no part was, what are we going to do? 
Because the reality is that in seven years, we've only taken two weeks off in a row, like a handful of times, and we've never been gone both of those Sundays. So in everybody's mind, they're thinking, so how are we going to survive eight Sundays without the Troyer family? Because I know it's not about me, because when I talk to you guys now and I say, well, the girls will be back in June, you guys all go, oh, good. Because <laughs> you don't really care if I'm here. You just care if they're here. Right? So, but the point is, where all this came from, as you probably know, we're part of the Gospel Coalition. It's just a national organization of like-minded churches. It's not a denomination or anything, but we pool our resources together to bring in speakers like we had this weekend, etc. Well, well, out of the eight or ten of us that show up once a month in a pastor's lead pastor's group to talk and just pray together, we do that once a month, four of them took all of last summer off on sabbatical, and I thought they were ridiculous. Honestly, I did. I'm like, that's crazy talk. Like, just, just, you don't need that much time off. So they started asking me some questions. And when I shared with them what my work pattern had been over seven years, they frankly, praise God, called me out and said, Doug, you are living in sin. Like, you are sinfully believing that somehow Jesus Christ needs you to keep Cornerstone Church going? So here's what they said. And I finish up my little sabbatical debrief. For, well, like I said, I'll talk more about it next week with this. Here's what they said they learned. Their people learned, wow. We really can survive without them. But man, do we love it when they're here. And you know what they learned, these pastors? Wow, they really don't need me. But man, do I love them. That's what I pray happens over those eight weeks. So back to verse 13. He's saying, don't look at us, because here's the, real, the reality. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So here's his second time that he's in their grill about what happened. And then in verse 14 he says, But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life the one who God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Guys, that word disowned there, many of your Bibles might translate it. The, 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 I don't know if it's a better translation, but another translation of that word disowned would be denied. But you denied the prince of life. Guys, here's the thing. Did Peter know what that was about? Did Peter get what it meant to deny Jesus Christ? Yeah. He's not lecturing them. He's going, guys, I get it. Been there. I understand that. And I understand that it is not too late to come back. That I denied him three times. And he has restored me and saved me. The first 24 years of my life, 10 or so from, from, about, the eight, from about seventh grade through when I came to Christ as a 24-year-old, People were pouring into me the gospel of Jesus Christ in so many different ways. And I kept denying it. But I am living proof that it was not too late. Until it is too late. Everyone has an eternity. Every soul lives for eternity. The only question is address. Where? And that should compel us to share him. Look at your engaged in the call. This is the, so now what do I do though? What do I do now with this? Peter is now a wonderful example that when the Holy Spirit takes over your life, you're going to be relating what you know from firsthand experience with Jesus Christ. 
That is what it means to be a witness. Is the reason there are so few witnesses, if you remember a couple weeks ago I talked about how only 5% of regularly a church attending Christians actively share their faith. These are not people that say they're Christians. These are people that are in churches on Sundays, 5% actively share their faith. Or admit to it, at least. It says, is the reason why there are so few witnesses, so few who have anything to say about their faith, because so few had any first-hand experience with Jesus Christ? We can't go and leave Jesus behind. When we go on mission, he comes with us, and our walk with him becomes sweeter. Guys, here's the thing about being on mission. I know sometimes I was guilty of this for a long time. Well, I need to grow more. I'll grow in my knowledge of Christ, and then I'll go. No. Now, now you don't want to go and know nothing, but you grow while you're going. It's in the going that we grow the most. How do I know that? Because in Matthew, the end of the verse, he says, go and make disciples, go. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always. We don't get the lo, I am. We want that part. Man, be with me, Jesus. He's like, I will be. Just pray that God will give you the eyes to see the lame man as you're walking into the store. And then walk up to him and start talking to him and watch how I show up. So are you, look, are you on the lookout for where the Spirit is moving? By living your life on mission, by stepping into gospel opportunities, and our last point is by inviting others into salvation. Look at verse 17. It says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 19, it says, repent and return. And when I first read that, I thought, that's kind of weird. Some of your translations might say turn, repent and turn, which, it, which sounds like this, because isn't repenting turning? And it is, and we talked about that even last week, about repenting is more than just turning. Repenting is absolutely turning, but it's then moving in, in the other direction. So it's moving closer to Christ. But, but this is actually saying repent and return, which implies that there, there was something for them to turn back to. And yet he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people who haven't come to faith in Christ yet. Here's what I think Peter is saying, and I think it's important. He's saying, guys, you've known this. He's pointing them back to their past to lead them to their need for the present. He's saying, guys, you have, you have, been, you have been learning about the promise to come your whole lives. You, you have known that the law pointed us to it. The prophets proclaimed it. You've known it your whole lives. Just return to the God who wants to save you because it has been fulfilled. The end of verse 18. Repent and return means turn from your old life and start moving towards Christ. Another phrase in that powerful passage in just that one section of verse 19. So that your sins may be wiped away. The word wiped there means exolepho in the Greek. Exolepho, it's where we get like exfoliate, to, to, to rub out. You ladies might know better than that, like what that means, I'm guessing, from living with four of them, right? 
But here's, but here's, what does that word really mean? Well, I'm going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Don't turn there. I've talked about this passage quite a bit, but if, you, if those of you that have been here for a while, you know I had that little whiteboard demonstration that I use where I have the clean whiteboard and I start wipe, writing my sins on it. And then I talk about in Colossians 2 where it says that he canceled out the record of debt that were the sins we had against him. That word canceled out is ex phileo. It's the exact same word that, the, that they write here, wiped away. Canceled out and wiped away. But if you remember when I've taught on that, I talk about that is not canceled like a canceled check with a stamp on it. That is wiped clean. It actually means to obliterate. When, when, when the gospel comes into your life, it is not you're still this filthy, nasty mess, but, but he's going he's gonna to kind of cover that up a little bit. But if God really wants to because you've sinned again, he could peek up and he could look and go, yeah, see all those other ones too, man? You're, do, you're toast. That's not what that word means. What that word means is I have completely obliterated your sin. That the cross was sufficient for every sin Doug will ever do, past, present, and future. And that when we live anything short of that, when we live in guilt, when we live in, in, in disgrace, we are nullifying the grace of God. For if righteousness could come from Doug fulfilling the law myself, then God put his son on a cross for nothing. And Paul tells us in Galatians 2, that's not possible. God would not do that to his son. If God was willing to send his son to die for Doug and for Terry and for what, Dave and for... <laughs> I'm like, well, I just blanked in your name for some reason. I was going to say Don. Because if God was willing to die then, and, and Jesus was willing to do it, then we, then we have to believe that it was done. Wiped clean by the blood of Christ. Yeah, but I hear that voice. I hear it all the time before I come up here to teach. Guys, the, world, the, the whole, Peter is preaching a convicting sermon. Convicting sermon. Repent and believe. Guys, the Holy Spirit is called to convict us. Jesus said when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. But that's not condemnation. That voice that you're hearing that is saying, you're no good. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy. Guys, here's what Satan does. He condemns, he confuses, and he makes fearful. The enemy condemns, and he confuses, and he makes fearful. And if you're experiencing any of those things, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So get behind me, Satan. Right? He, when you hear those things, you need to claim the name of Jesus Christ. You need, to say, you need to say, maybe out loud, in the name of Jesus Christ, get behind me, Satan, because the cross finished that work. But the gospel is offensive. Peter is being offensive here. We just have to be sure that when we're offending people, it's the gospel that is offending, not our attitude. Not our preferences. But it is an offensive thing. Why? Because the world does not want to hear about sin 
and the need for repentance. But here's the problem. We have started preaching a gospel that doesn't talk about sin and repentance. And a gospel that does not talk about sin and repentance is not the gospel. It just isn't. It can't be. If we jump from the need that, that there is sin in the world and we need to repent for, to a holy God and Jesus, is, and Jesus is the way and we just jump right to and God loved, here's the here's the gospel we've preached. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes! And guess what his plan is? For you to come to him. For you to be conformed into his image and for you to live for his glory. That's his plan. It is not to make you comfortable. It is not to make you rich. It is not to make your marriage better. It is not to make you a better parent. All those things are just a byproduct of coming to him, being conformed to his image, and living for his glory. But we skip all of that. Because we don't want to be offensive, and that's not going to sell, and it's surely not going to fill the seats. So let's just make it best life now, brother. There's no salvation in that gospel. That's what Peter is saying here. There is no salvation, and that is such a dangerous game. Guys, the, the, the church is full of people that are going to hell. I'm trying to figure out where to go. I wrote this down because I wanted to get it right, so I'll have them put it up on the screen. Do you talk about sin, your struggles, and the need for a Savior, and that his name is Jesus? Or do you just stick with grace, goodness, and the less offensive name of God? If we don't talk about sin and the need to repent, then why do we need a Savior? Why do we need Jesus? And if we come to Christ without knowing your need for him, have you really come to Christ? Verse 19 again. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Guys, do you get that? In order that times of refreshing Guys, that's the so that. That's the big in order to. That's the in order to what. That, that, is, that is where we need to live. Guys, the reason repent and return and your sins being wiped away is the good news is because that's the gospel and that's where we find the presence of Jesus Christ. Guys, have you ever been just really, really dirty? Like disgustingly dirty? Some of you, some of these confused young people in our church went on this mud run yesterday. That's really, really dirty. I worked wildland fire for three seasons and while I was in college and there were times where you'd be out on a fire and you wouldn't see a shower for like a week to ten days and you're living in complete filth. I mean to the point where you didn't know as you were walking in and out of these fires if someone was Caucasian or black because everybody was the same color. It was racial equality. And, and then every now and then they would bring in these massive semis that, had, that were converted, their trailers were converted Showers. That shower felt so good because you were so filthy. That's what grace feels like. If we get how filthy we are. We don't need to run from the filth because it just makes grace greater. Right? The times of refreshment might come in the presence of the Lord. Because that's what I'm praying for 
for me and for my family for those eight weeks, that I would read his word and read books just to soak him in. Because I don't remember the last time I did that, sinfully. But guys, that's what I'm praying for you too. I'm praying that, that not just for those eight weeks, but that our lives would be, would, would be ones where we would experience the refreshment of the presence of the Lord. Because He's given us all we need. This is my soapbox, right? This is what I talk about. He's given us all we need just to take Him in. Guys, if you're, so, if, if you're, if you're out on a run or you're out on a hike or you're what, or do, what, and you're so thirsty that your mouth is parched and, you're, and, you're, and your throat is in pain and you're, you don't come into your house at the end of that and go sit on your couch and hope someone brings you a drink of water. What do you do? You go get a drink of water. You might be sitting here right now and going, you know what, I have never experienced the repentance of sin that has is, that is wiped away my sins so that I might experience that refreshment in His presence. And I pray today, and I will pray in a minute, that that happens to you today. But some of you are sitting here and you're going, yeah, I've experienced that. And I feel like Doug feels right now where, where it's that sponge on the back of the sink that's been there forever. And it just needs to drink. Take a drink. Just drink from the fountain of living water and experience the refreshment of His presence. Let's pray. So Father, I thank You, Lord, for this time to just respond to the Gospel. The good news that You have done for us what we could not do. And yet what needed to be done. Every soul in this room and every soul that's ever lived will spend eternity somewhere. And the only difference is what we just read in verse 19. Those that repent and return and have their sins wiped clean by the cross of Jesus Christ will spend eternity with you. And those that refuse the free offer of grace will spend eternity in damnation. Lord, may that compel us, those of us that have tasted of your goodness, those of us that have sipped from the fountain of living water, may that compel us to have our eyes open to where you would have us work. May we not walk out of here in our own strength trying to find somebody to share Jesus with, but may we just pray. Just pray that you would give us opportunity and then pray that you would give us words and then pray that you would move our feet to walk across the room and then pray that whatever comes out of our mouth would be of you and then pray that the, that the results would be powerful because of you and then just pray that we would rest in whatever you would do. And may we be a people that live the truth. That, that live the truth that our sin has been covered, that the debt has been paid, that victory is ours, that Satan has no place here. 
that you indwell us. And that all we need to do is fix our eyes on you and we will find rest for our weary souls. In Jesus' name.